here, okay? We're going to um, get right into it today and continue our series on what Jesus believed. And today we're going to talk about a subject that I really need your attention for, because some of you are probably saying, what's this got to do with Christmas? I mean, why aren't you doing a Christmas series or, as I mentioned, uh, Advent? This is the Advent season, which means the presence uh, of Christ. We talk about the presence of Christ at Advent, his first coming, his second coming. What are you doing talking about marriage? Shouldn't you have saved that for, you know, Valentine's weekend or something like that? And, you know, what if I'm not married? What do I even need to hear this for? Um, Let me just give you an observation, uh, and maybe this will resonate with you. Uh, This pandemic that we're in, and I say that sort of strangely because nobody in this room, I guarantee you, have lived through a pandemic because you would have to be 100 plus years old. And I don't see anybody in the room that qualifies. I don't see anybody in that camera who qualifies as being over 100 years old. So you've never lived through a pandemic. And it's interesting to see what people say, you know, about society and culture and the world. And we talk about how people have maybe changed during the pandemic and, oh, we'll never be the same. You know, I hear terminology like that. Let me give you a revelation as to what the pandemic has done. Uh, Number one, it has raptured all of the people who work in labor. So it's as if Thanos, you know, the Avengers movie and Thanos snaps his fingers. It was as if Thanos snapped his fingers and everybody who works in labor disappeared and says and said, I don't want to work this job anymore. So I'm going to go do something else with my life. I've been thinking about it for a while, but this pandemic has helped me pull the trigger and I'm not working in whatever, this restaurant or this in a, in a labor-oriented role, which is critical for, for, I mean, labor is a huge, huge, important job. And labor is every, every restaurant, every retail store needs help everywhere. It's amazing. Where did they all go? It's like they got raptured. Uh, but it's, it's things that were brewing underneath the surface in people's lives on the back burner, have now come to the front burner. Well, I wanted to sell my house, but now I sold my house. And I made another $100,000, you know, selling my house. Well, uh, this has been in the back for a long time, but this just tripped the switch for me. Well, you know, online church is crazy, and nobody will watch online church. That's sacrilege, online church. Now every church is online. Good morning, those of you who are watching online, okay? So it's kind of brought to the front burner what was in the back burner, and that relates to relationships. That relates to the marriage relationship. If we're to believe what Jesus taught about, it's a pretty important relationship in life. And so it brings to the front what's been going on for a while. So if the relationship's been good, then, then the pandemic probably just makes it better. Uh, it just brings out what's already there. If the relationship has been toxic and there's problems and there's conflict all the time and it's unresolved all the time, then probably it's harder during a pandemic than easier. And so I want to talk about this particular area of life because I believe it's so, so crucial. And we have an interesting mixed bag of people just in the room. We've got people 
who are in a relationship, thinking about maybe the next step, not married yet. We've got people who are married. We've got people who are divorced. We've got people who are divorced and remarried, perhaps more than once. We've got single people who have no interest in it. We've got people who've been married for many, many decades. So there's a whole mixed bag of people. I guarantee you what Jesus believes about marriage will touch this single person all the way through to the person who's maybe been married, divorced, maybe several times. You've lived this story and turned this page many, many times in your life. I guarantee you that what Jesus teaches about this and we examine his beliefs, uh, you're going to be, wow, I didn't think of it quite that way, all right? So, but to do this, you have to be fair. Uh, when you look at Jesus on marriage, you have to be very fair and you have to be very careful because you can cherry pick little verses and little scenes in the Gospels and have a view that is a, is a very partial view or an inaccurate view because you're just picking at one little verse there. And uh, you, you might feel very discouraged just reading one verse a one passage that Jesus has to say about marriage. You've got to read the whole thing. And when you look into the Gospels, which is the, the best, most trustworthy source that we have about the life of Jesus, these people were eyewitnesses to him. These people walked with him. They talked with him. They experienced uh, at least three years of their lives in very close proximity to Jesus. I know what some of you may be thinking. Well, how can we trust the Gospels? These people are biased. These people worship Jesus. How can they be accurate in what they're writing? Uh, I mean, that's like saying, how can a person be accurate in what they're writing in a subject that they love? <laughs> because they love the subject, they, and because they're the closest to the subject, they may well be the most trustworthy people on the subject. Whether they love the subject or they don't love the subject is not the issue. It's how close are they? How close were they to Jesus? Well, right there, they walked with him, they talked with him, and they give us these accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, as far as John's gospel goes, I haven't listed it on your screen there because you really don't see much about the beliefs of Jesus on marriage in the gospel of John. Although he attends a wedding uh, in uh, Cana in Galilee and turns blank into blank at the wedding, Water into wine, good, you're, you're awake at the wedding, uh, while he meets a, a Samaritan woman at, at the well, a woman who's been married blank amount of times, five, good, and has a discussion with her. Uh, it, while we see that, we don't really see him teaching on it or what he has to say specifically about it. And also, I haven't included in there the parables that Jesus, uh, he uses marriage as a backdrop to teach something else. So the parable of the 10 blank starts with V. Virgins, yeah. Yes, you said the word. So, and that's a, that's a story about the second coming of Jesus that he sets in the context of a first century wedding. So I haven't included that. I'm just going right, just, just the facts, okay? I'm getting right to it here. But I put this on your screen because you're looking for an excellent Bible study on marriage you just need to look to Jesus and in some ways no further. So take a little snapshot of that screen 
Uh, you have three sections in the Gospels, okay? So Matthew and Luke there at the top, on the top row. This is just little verses sort of jammed in to other miscellaneous things that Jesus is teaching on marriage. So Matthew 5 is in the Sermon on the Mount. He's got two verses there. They're very pow. Uh, Luke 16 and 18, it's the same thing, but it's just boom like this, and it comes and it goes. Uh, then you see he's in a, a situation where he's being tested uh, by the, the Pharisees, the Orthodox Jews of the day, if you will. And they come to him, and they're going to try and test him and trap him. And that you see in Matthew 19, Mark 10. And then you see another test. They love to test Jesus, and this is from the Sadducees. Now, we have a way to talk about how you distinguish between Pharisee and Sadducee. I'll tell you about it. So uh, the, the Pharisees believed in, um, in the, what we call the Old Testament. They believed in the whole thing. They believed in the supernatural. They believed in angels. They believed in the afterlife. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. But the Sadducees just really focused on the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. And the, the supernatural stuff and the angels and the resurrection of the dead, they did not accept that. And so they were sad, you see? So that's a way to remember it, okay? So now you know the difference between a Pharisee and a sad, you see? So, and the Sadducees were also in charge of the temple. They were, the, they were very wealthy. They were like the aristocracy of the time, and they were in control of the temple. So you got two different groups there. Each group is going to come to Jesus and test Jesus. And this is where you see what he believes about marriage. So I'm going to go through these things relatively quickly, um, and I need you to hear me all the way through, or you're going to feel like, oh boy, you know, I'm just... Jesus doesn't like me or whatever. He condemns me. Just hold, hold on and wait till the end. And I'm going to do my best here uh, to, to get through this. Some of this stuff is, it, people have different views on it. it. It brings up a lot of emotion, brings up a lot of controversy, but I'm going to try and present it to you straight and, and see if it resonates with you, okay? So you see in the first one of these uh, in Matthew 5, Luke 16, it's just boom right there, and I'm just going to read it, and I'm not going to make any comment on it, and we'll comment on the rest, all right? Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 5, 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Just let it sit there, okay? Luke 16, almost exactly the same thing. Just let it sit there. Stay with me. If you're divorced, don't leave. Don't turn off the stream. Stay with me, okay? Jesus doesn't condemn you. Just stay with me. Now we get to the test from the Pharisees, which is in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 9, and Mark 10, verses 1 to 12. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee, went to the region of Judea. Remember, if you're divorced, stay with me, okay? And, and uh, watch this. Uh, it went to the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And some Pharisees came to test him. And here's what they say. Is it lawful? 
for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. This is a really, really clever attempt to trap Jesus. Now, put your brain on pause for a second and zap back to the first century in the Middle East. In the first century in the Middle East, marriage was, and, and the whole culture and the view of men and the view of women was completely different than what we live in today in the modern world in the 21st century. Completely different. If you were a woman, there were th basically three things you did not want to be. One of them is single. The next one is divorced. And the next one is a widow. Because if you were any of those three, you were valueless in that culture. And you had to survive in that culture. And your survival in that culture was based on your husband. You say, that's not fair. I know it's not fair. But that's what it was. And that's what these people were living in. And marriages weren't uh, like they are today, at least in the West here. Marriages were arranged. So, uh, you know, uh, two sets of parents would make a contract. You'd have this set of parents of the, of the groom, and they'd be hunting for a, for a bride for this groom really early in life. Look at Mary and Joseph. I mean, their betrothed, the betrothal is like as teenagers that betrothals took place. And you have the two sets of parents come together, and they make a contract, and they make a deal. How much is it going to cost? To get the, you know, we want to get our son married because we have to preserve our line. So it wasn't, well, the couple meets and the couple strikes up a relationship and the couple starts dating or courting or whatever words we want to use today. And, you know, and then they decide to get married and, you know, the dude gets down on one knee or whatever. It's <laughs> not the way that it was back then. The way that it was back then, the parents decided, you're stuck with this guy. You're stuck with this girl, okay? So very different time and culture, and it was common for men to dismiss their wives. It was, it was not uncommon for them to do that, and they would do so for whatever reasons. Uh, if you inspect the text in Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, you see that Moses gives some some instructions are a little bizarre. He goes through a situation where you've got a woman married to a man and she displeases him, you know, in whatever way. And it seems kind of frivolous and he, and he divorces her and then uh, she marries another guy and, and this guy doesn't like her either. And he divorces her. And then the first guy wants to come and remarry the wife who he divorced in the first place. And Moses says, no, you can't do that because she's been with another man. You can't do that. And here they're going to come to Jesus and they're going to say, ah, we're going to get him and we're going to get him to, to, to contradict Moses. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Because Moses said yes. Technically, in their view, Moses said she displeases him. Oh, she, he doesn't like her cooking. He doesn't like her tone. He doesn't like the way she raises the children. He wants to upgrade to another model, whatever. But it doesn't, it doesn't give a, a, a tight restriction, Moses. You issue a certificate of divorce. Well, so they say, hey, Jesus, is it lawful for... 
important. This is Moses, Jesus. Moses is talking here. What are you going to do about it? And Jesus' reply, haven't you read? Wow. He's like, he's going to flip the tables right on them. That at the beginning, this is Genesis, first few words of Genesis, in the beginning. We translate that in Hebrew, uh, uh, Bereshit, we call it. So haven't you heard that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female? He's back to Genesis chapter 1. And he says, you think you know what you're talking about? You're going to try this, this game with Moses on me? He says, well, haven't you read that in the beginning God made them male and female? Genesis 1. And he continues, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Genesis chapter 2, which we read at weddings all the time. Even in the modern age, we read those texts. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So they're going to say, well, hold on a second here. Moses said we could do this. And you're saying you have this high and lofty standard? Why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? We're allowed to do this, Jesus. We've got you pinned. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce because your wives, because your hearts were hard. So what he's saying is the law of Moses there was given to you as a grace because you're so hard-hearted, because you're so, your, your, your heart is not soft. Your heart is hard. Your heart was hard to God. Your heart was hard in your marriage. And so God gave you a grace through Moses because you're so stubborn. Wow, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying he permitted you to do this. It was not that way from the beginning. And he, of course, quoted the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, he's going to go above Moses here. He's going to go higher than Moses. I tell you that anyone who divorces his, his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Ooh, man, that is really strong. And then they say to him, well, if this is the case, then you shouldn't get married. You know, they're, they're really, really shocked by his, by his answer. And if you look into Mark's text, almost exactly the same, uh, except at the end there in Mark chapter 10, verse 10, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, Ugh, strong. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband, this is the only time where Jesus actually mentions a case of a woman divorcing their, their uh, husband, which was very rare in that day. If she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now, I know what you're thinking. You say, Pastor, I'm divorced. Jesus is condemning me. Hold on. Because what's going on here is they're pinning him into a corner. And they're saying, listen, we have justification from the law of Moses to, uh, to divorce our wives for any cause. And here you are trying to raise the bar. And Jesus says, yes, I'm going to raise the bar. If that woman, and it's, again, man-centered culture, if that woman has not uh, committed adultery against you, she hasn't been unfaithful to you, then your little trivial reasons of your, she displeases you, you don't like her tone, you don't like the way she raises the children, you don't like her cooking, he said those reasons are unacceptable. And you can't do that. 
If she has been unfaithful to you, that's the only condition that I'm going to give to you. Because the way that you all are doing this is you have, you, you have uh, uh, it, the marriage covenant that, that God has put together, you are being disrespectful to. So, fast forward to the 21st century. Does that mean, oh, well, pastor, you know, my, my spouse is abusive, they're a criminal, they're in jail, you know, they beat the children, they do all of these things, and you're telling me that I have to wait for my spouse to have an affair before I divorce my spouse? Like, that's crazy. I, I do not think we can push this text that far. I think we have to stay in the context of, of where it is and what's going on here. Again, they put this religious test to Jesus, and he's going to say, your reasons and the way that you all are going about this are trivial and you're wrong in doing so. I'm going to take, I'm going to ratchet Moses up one. And I'm going to tell you that if that woman has not been unfaithful to you, you must stay with her. Implication. Because she depends on you. That's the culture. That's the time. That's the way that it was. And so Jesus is going to ratchet it up. So I speak to those of you who are divorced in the room, those of you online who are divorced. Every situation is different. I have remarried people who have been divorced several times. And uh, our fellowship, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, gives certain constraints for that. Uh, and, you know, they're fairly tight, but uh, there is some allowance there. Every, every uh, organization, denomination, fellowship within the church worldwide has a different take on this. But I have done it, and every situation is different. So keep the context the context, and don't put words into Jesus' mouth that he's not stating. He does not condemn you. Many people who go through divorces today... I mean, they have tried, they have worked, they have done everything that they possibly can, and it's toxic, and it's just, it, it's pain, and it's pain, and it's pain, and then they finally, both of them decide they're going to throw in the towel. Okay, the, every situation is different. But back then, we're talking about, we're going to get you with this religious law, and Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to ratchet it up. Now, what do we learn from this? What's the application behind this? Jesus believed that God was behind marriage. He believed that God was behind it. So he's saying to these, these Pharisees, he's saying, you know, what God has brought together, let no man separate. God was involved in that. It's God's institution. It's God's design. And you have turned it into this thing that benefits you. Husbands, he's speaking mostly to men here. Granted, Mark gives the example of a woman divorcing uh, her husband, but this is only in Mark, and the culture was dominated uh, by men at the time. So overall application, Jesus believed God was behind it. Uh, God was behind it. He has a very, very high view, a very high bar for marriage. Don't get into it lightly, and don't get out of it lightly. This is the application that we could take away from this. Another one, which is going, which is in the front and center now, and in 10, 20 years, even reading these texts out of Genesis is going to be so much more controversial than it is today. But Jesus appears to believe in one biological male and one biological female. Like we have to, we have to realize, folks, and this is a little bit of an aside in the message, but we have to realize because all of you are having conversations with people about this nowadays. The Bible, we we have to be faithful to what Jesus taught, to what the Bible teaches. 
look, if we don't like it and we want to disagree with it and we want to say that's archaic and we want to say that's condemnatory, fine, we're free to say that. But at least be faithful to what the Bible teaches and what Jesus believed. There is, there is no, um, nothing in the Bible, it's totally foreign to the Bible, this concept that gender is somehow distinct from biological sex. This, this, God, this is totally foreign to the scripture. So nowadays, we ha- gender is distinct from biological sex. And uh, trans, and I won't say transgender because trans is extremely complicated now. There are about 20 different kinds of trans, and the list keeps growing. Uh, the, for about 30 years now, the culture has taught that gender is distinct from biological sex. So a person can be a different gender, in their own words, than their biological sex for in a whole wide spectrum of different ways now. It's highly complex. The Bible knows nothing of this. <laughs> These thoughts are completely, completely foreign to the Scripture. Jesus sticks to the, to the same song sheet that the Hebrew people believed in for thousands of years, that marriage was between a biological male and a biological female. That He's not making a comment on the whole trans thing here. The, they didn't know anything of this. You search the, the Bible from cover to cover, you will not see this anywhere, okay? So just, just as an aside, but an important aside because you're having conversations about this. Uh, another observation here. Jesus believed, and we can switch to the next uh, story here with the Sadducees. Jesus believed that marriage was temporary. He believed marriage was temporary. And this is extremely important for us because in the Western culture, listen to me, and young people, listen to me. People who are thinking about getting married, listen. In the Western culture, we are more acclimatized to Greek mythology when it comes to our understanding of marriage than we are to what Jesus said about marriage. I'll explain to you as we look at this story, okay? Matthew chapter 22, here are the Sadducees. Remember, they're sad, you see? Well, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, Matthew 22, verse 22, came to him with a question. So now he's going to face the Sadducees, and they've got a question for him. Teacher, Moses told us, this is an amazing, amazing story, and it's so bizarre. Moses told us, that if a man dies without having children, remember the time, the culture, the law, very different than what we live by today. Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. How'd you like to live in that time, ladies? So... But that's the way that it was because you had to preserve your line, you see. And so you've got a law in in Moses, probably Deuteronomy or Leviticus somewhere, that talks about this, okay? Again, time, culture, their law. So so they're going to (laughs) say, we've got you on this one, Jesus. You believe in the resurrection of the dead? Well, here. Moses said this, right? So the, the man marries this woman. And uh, he dies, no children. And so Moses said, she's got she's to marry the brother. 
Doesn't matter if he's ugly, you know, she's going to marry the brother, right? So, so she stuck with him because the line has to be preserved. So let, here, Jesus, let's give you a hypothetical situation here. You've got seven brothers, and the first one married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. And then the same thing happened to the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh. Can you imagine this woman having to deal with seven of these men? Finally, the woman died. I mean, she's probably happy. She doesn't have to deal with all these men. What a time, right? What a time. Now then, we've got you, Jesus. At the resurrection, you believe in the resurrection. At the resurrection, we've got you on this one. Whose wife will she be of the seven? Since all of them were married to her. Like, how's that going to work? <laughs> and Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, replies, and he says, You are in error. Because you do not know the Scriptures. You're quoting Moses to me. Uh, you do not know the Scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. At the resurrection, which we sung about a little bit today, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like, doesn't say they will be angels, says they will be like the angels in heaven. Angels have no need of marriage. I don't see Michael, you know, hooking up with some, <laughs> some angel in heaven, right? So he's saying like, doesn't say they will be, because I've been to funerals where people think that people die and they become angels. The Bible doesn't say that. It says they'll be like angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He says this when all these men have passed away. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You're wrong on your beliefs about the resurrection, and you're wrong in your beliefs about marriage. He's implying strongly that marriage is a temporary thing for here. But in eternity, it will be different. Does he elaborate? Does this mean you won't know your spouse in heaven? I don't think so. Because when you see Paul, Paul strongly implies that you will know your loved ones in heaven. You, there will be a reunion with your loved ones in heaven. So he's not saying that, but the relationship will be quite, quite different. What we have here now is Temporary, if you look at Matthew's uh, version of this, almost exactly the same. Sorry, Mark's version of this, almost exactly the same, except Jesus adds at the end, you are badly mistaken. <laughs> In Luke's version, there's a little bit extra. The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. It's different there. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. Implication, marriage here is temporary. Why is that so important? Here are the applications for today from these texts. And again, I would encourage you to reread them, reread them, reread them. Here are the applications. Number one, all right, don't enter into it or exit from it 
casually. Jesus has a very, very high view of it. Don't enter into it casually. Don't exit from it casually. And again, if you're in this room and you're divorced, I am not stating that you exited from it casually. Uh, I know some of your stories and the pain that you went through that led regrettably, with deep regret, to your situation and your divorce. Every situation is different, and Jesus is not uh, condemning you. The application for today, 21st century, don't enter into it lightly, and don't exit from it lightly. Because you're, when you do that, and you do so in a casual fashion, you're not appreciating the fact that God is behind the thing. Watch out for what I'll call marriage myths. And these, if you go back into Greek mythology, you see all kinds of, of interesting stories of how the gods were upset at the humans because the humans were so uh, uh, um, independent, they were so content as individuals that the gods decided to cut them in half, and so they were always looking for their other half. And so, th this is Greek mythology, but we restate this Greek mythology in our culture today when we say words like, you complete me. What? You complete me? Listen to me. Your spouse doesn't complete you. God completes you, not your spouse. If you complete me is true, then what about all the single people? Are they incomplete? What about the people who've been through divorce? Are they incomplete? Nonsense. Greek mythology. Your spouse does not complete you. Your spouse is not God. Your spouse is your spouse. Don't deify your spouse. You complete me. This is, this is false. You are my everything. What? God is your everything, isn't he? But you're talking about this person as if there's some deity in your life? Let me tell you, you stay married for a few years, you're going to realize that person is not your everything. That person doesn't complete you. You're going to start to realize. And may I say, it's unfair to put that burden on them. Imagine being told all the time, you complete me, you complete me, you complete me. You're my everything. Oh boy, that's a high bar. <laughs> that's God's bar. That's not your spouse's bar. You are the one. You know, there's millions, where's that, Matrix? I haven't even seen the Matrix, but Greek mythology. You are the one. So, you know, out of the millions of people that you could have been with, you got to find the one. And if you make a mistake... It could be a catastrophe. What? Speak to the people in the first century in the ancient world who were, who were match made by their parents and had to make it work to survive. You think they believe that nonsense? There isn't a one for you. You decide to make it work. You make a decision to make it work. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, all, I'm a fan of all the emotion, okay? I'm a fan of all of the magic. I'm a fan of all of the romance and all of the chemistry and all of the hormones and all of these things that are flying around. That's all, that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, folks, you make a decision to make it work with this person. I can't live without you. You got a real problem if you believe that. Because as soon as that person passes away, so do you. There are people in this room who have lost their spouses. There's a woman in this room who has lost her spouse in, in his 50s or 60s due to complications related with COVID. There's a man in this room who lost his spouse. She was, I think, 29 years old due to cancer. 
Does that mean that these people can't live? No. You cannot deify that person. Yes, you can keep on living without that person. Yes, it's painful. Absolutely, it's painful. Yes, you're coping with it for the rest of your life. Yes, you're trying to figure out, how do I do all of this with this person is gone? But you can live without the person. You better learn to live without that person because you won't always have that person with you. It's a relationship that you have. So you say, well, what is the purpose of it? Are you, are you like, it sounds like you're anti-marriage. I'm not anti-marriage. I'll be celebrating 28 years in two weeks, okay? 28, I mean, you know, she stayed with me for 28 years. She deserves a medal, a big, big gold medal, okay? So uh, what is the purpose of it? Listen, marriage, especially for the Christ-centered person, let me tell you what you're doing. Your marriage, a healthy marriage, is a reflection of the relationship that God has with his people. That's what it's for. You are preaching to people about the faithfulness of God when you have a healthy marriage. You're showing the world the love of God, the faithfulness of God, the grace of God, the decision that God made to save us all when we were unfaithful to him, when we were ungrateful to him, when we were unkind to him, when we didn't even know his name, he came as a baby, lived as a man, and died for our sins. He made that decision for us. You are reflecting that in marriage, it is the, the picture that is the most commonly used in the New Testament, the most common illustration for the way that God relates to his people, his followers, like a marriage. You see this in the book of Revelation. You have this celebration where the church and the believers worldwide are finally in the presence of the actual presence of God, like a wedding. And there's this celebration that takes place. But what we see here and what we live here, it has a purpose. It's an illustration. It's a symbol. You are proclaiming to people. You're preaching to people when you have a healthy marriage. You can't help it. You're preaching to people. That's how important it is for God. That's why God is behind it, because it's the fabric. It's the foundation of healthy um, neighborhoods and healthy cities and healthy countries. It's healthy marriage. This God has designed it that way. But it is temporary, and it's about making a decision. God made that decision for us, and you've got to make the decision to stay in there. You've got to make a decision to love this person, even when they're unlovely sometimes. You've got to make a decision that you are going to, to do what God has called you to do. You've got to make a decision to, I'm going to say the C word, change. You've got to make a decision to change. Some of you who are married, there's people in this room who have been married, I think, less than two months. I think there's two couples in here who have been married less than two months or less than six months. You have to make a decision to change. You are going to find things in your own life and in your character 
that are that you your spouse is not going to like. <laughs> they're not going to like. They're, they're noticing things. You're noticing things. You may have not have noticed those things if you weren't married to somebody, but you see those things come out. Say, oh wow, that's a uh, that's a sin. I've got to deal with that. I never would have known that if I wasn't married, because I'm living with this person all the time, and I see myself behave this way, or say this, or react this way, and so on. You know what it is? I just sinned. Wow, I didn't know that. I got to fix that. Well, see, that's God's way of of changing people. Again, it's a reflection of God's relationship with His people. is magnificent for that reason. It is a great, great oven where you're baking, (laughs) and hopefully your cake turns out good in the end, right? But this is God's way, and this is God's design. But you can't follow this Greek mythology. You've got to make a decision to say, I'm going to to punch that clock today. I don't feel like it. You know, I don't feel like I love this person anymore. I just don't feel it anymore. Uh, Well, maybe you need to revisit that thought. Maybe you need to say, well, hold on. I don't want to press the exit button too quickly here because Jesus has a very, very high value of this. You say, but pastor, is he condemning me? No, he's not condemning you if you're divorced. Did you live in the first century when Jesus was under attack there, dealing with that situation? Every situation is different. Uh, so I hope that it isn't a condemnation for those of you who lived through the pain of divorce. But those of you who are living through the pain of marriage right now, and the pandemic has brought pain and difficulty into your, into your lives together and into your relationship together, do not throw in the towel so quickly. Make a decision to say, I will do what I have to do. I will fight for it. I will fix myself. I will change myself. I'll go to counseling. I'll do whatever I have to do to make this thing work because nobody puts that ring on their finger and makes those vows and at that time doesn't mean it. You meant it with all of your, every fiber of your being, you meant it. Well, you meant it, then you, you find a way to stand by those vows that you made uh, because, again, you're preaching a message through your, uh, through your marriage. And if you're single, also... Listen, you don't need another person. You don't need another person to complete you, to be your everything, to be the one and not live without. Because you have God in your life. His role is to complete you and to be your God. If you run into the blessing of marriage, great. But may you enter into it uh, very, very carefully and very respectfully. Because you're, you're automatically becoming a preacher and an evangelist when you enter into that marriage. If we could have the band to come up and get ready to play. And I just want to finish and close in prayer today. I hope it's been helpful. Uh, again, uh, I'd encourage you to re-watch it and um, you know, look at those, those Bible verses again and again and again. And, and put yourself back in time and see how Jesus, how his heart comes out uh, in these discussions that he has. Father, we praise you and we thank you today. Wow, what an amazing idea 
Uh, what an amazing illustration. We look at marriage and we look at relationships and and, and God, uh, I pray for people in this room, all different spectrums of life here, uh, people who have experienced many, many different things and uh, who think about uh, their marriage all the time. God, there are people here who are, who are struggling. There are people who are doing well. There are people who have gone through the, the, the pain of divorce, people who are divorced and remarried, people who uh, may be living together and aren't married. God, whatever the situation, I pray that your spirit, the counselor, would uh, speak to people's hearts and speak to people's uh, minds and volition and decision-making Ability and Lord, that we would this Christmas season, uh, Lord, we would take a step back and realize uh, you have such a high, a high calling uh, in this relationship we call marriage. So important and so critical to you, uh, Lord. Uh, I pray we would do whatever we can, Lord, to to adjust our lives around that great truth. And Lord, you would be strength in people's relationships, in their marriages. You would strengthen them. You would strengthen homes, Lord. Uh, you, would, you would be lifted up and uh, uh, grace would be practiced and, um, and forgiveness would be practiced. And uh, Lord, ultimately that uh, we would walk through Whatever the stage of life we're in around this whole thing of marriage, if we're single, we would walk through holding your hand, God, and realizing you and you alone are our God. And you are sufficient for us. We pray together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. God bless you today. Remember, if you have uh, kids, to pick them up in number 11. Remember to register for your, the kids for the star for next week. We will start on time at 1030. If you're coming to the movie, you do need to register for it on our website. We will have no stream next week as a result. Okay, God bless you. Have a great, great Sunday, everyone.
Thank you.